Good morning. Thank you very much, Dean, and uh, to our uh, musicians and singing group too um, for leading us in, in worship. It's good to be here this morning. And it's always nice to be able to start with good news, isn't it? Um, and uh, I want to bring you a little bit of good news that the offering or the gifts uh, given uh, towards Afghanistan, if you remember uh, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been sort of taking in gifts and I was able to send away uh, this week £9,250, of which Nakani contributed £4,250. I'm not really in a position to tell you details because it's just too dangerous. All I can say to you is that the folk who will uh, eventually be distributing the money are actually in Afghanistan now. Uh, they've moved in and the personal friend of uh, Dorothy and I and our mission SGA uh, he will get that money uh, sent through to him and then he will pass it on to them uh, in the country so you can be assured that your gifts will all uh, go uh, to the folk um, who need it there's no money taken away um, for administration nothing taken out either by SGA or by Beeble Mission our partner mission in uh, Almaty, uh, no money will be taken away. It's, it will all go in total uh, to the needs of the folk there. So I just want to say to you from my heart, thank you so much. It started off, it, Linda Jane actually it was who mentioned to me, she just said to me, it's awful things that are happening in Afghanistan, isn't it? Is there no way that we can, we can get money out to them? Have you got any contacts? And although we and SGA don't work directly uh, in Afghanistan, we do work with Beeble Mission and they're working in Central Asia and across into these other countries as well. Uh, and, and so I was able really to uh, get a channel by which we could pass the money on. So I want to thank you uh, on behalf of the folk out there uh, and I know that that money will go a long, long way to helping so many people. I am hoping that we'll get some kind of report back. Obviously, uh, again, it will be governed by security issues and all the rest of it. But uh, my friend, uh, Gerhard, has uh, promised that if he can get a report back to us uh, about uh, the money and where it has gone and who has benefited, that he will do that. So I'll pass it on to you uh, if I get it. Just to mention to you that on the table outside uh, are the most up-to-date SGA magazines. If you're interested, uh, you can take one of those and a little prayer uh, diary as well. So it's nice to be able to start um, with that kind of good news this morning. Thank you so much. We're turning to God's Word this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, 
You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as a seen best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is God's word, and we pray that he will bless it to us. Let's bow for a moment before we launch into this passage of Scripture. Let's ask God's help for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your care for us, your love for us. We thank you for the assurance. We've thought about it already this morning in our readings and indeed in our singing of the extent of that love and care that you have for men and women and especially for your children. And Lord, we pray now for your help as we we begin to understand or seek to understand this passage, some of it, and what it teaches us, Lord, about you, about ourselves, about our Christian living. We pray that today you will feed our souls, that you will challenge us, Lord, and indeed that you will encourage us in the race that has been set out before us. Help us now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you struggled this week? I'm sure some of you can inwardly nod your head um, vigorously at that. The days bring to us struggles. They bring challenges. They bring um, dangers. uh, And in many parts of our lives, we, we find ourselves struggling. And as believers, perhaps we are won't ask the question, why, why is it so difficult? Why does it need to be so difficult living for Christ, living for Jesus in this world? Well, I hope this morning as we <clears throat> look into this passage that we'll get some answers as, as uh, Dean has already uh, indicated um, sometimes the answers we get from God don't ease the problems there and then, but they help us to understand the reason for them and they help us to understand more what God <clears throat> is doing in our lives. <clears throat> there are many apparent contrasts in life, things that seem to be opposites or not really to blend together, and yet when you bring them together, you find that they uh, give us a new perspective or a fresh concept. Uh, 
don't always listen to me when I talk about art and, and painting and so forth because um, I'm not an expert by any means. But I do know that uh, one of the things about designing and, and, uh, and painting a house and so forth is to have contrast. You know, if you have one wall painted one way, another wall painted another. And so there's such a thing as, if you like, color contrast. I'm also told that there's such a thing as color harmony, which I don't really understand in a way. Uh, uh, and so, But these things blend together to give us, if you like, a fresh perspective. It's the same in music, for example. You know, to have um, something played softly and then to have it played loudly, to have it played with a lot of expression and to have it played with less expression. And these contrasts come together really to give us a, 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 a new perspective, a deeper appreciation of what's uh, uh, in front of us. Far from cancelling each other out, they actually afford each other um, help and they bring to us, as I say, a new understanding, a new perspective. And this morning I want us to think about the fatherhood of God. God in his role as father brings together things that are seemingly incompatibles. They don't seem to come together in harmony. And the two things that I'm thinking about which come out of this passage that we have read together are Love and discipline. Love and discipline. We don't often think in the same moment of kind of loving words, endearing words, comforting words, and then a word of rebuke or correction or instruction. The two things don't naturally come together. And yet as we think about God as our Father, these two seemingly incompatibles, love and discipline, do come together. It's a, an apparent clash. It's a, it's a clash which is, I hope we'll see this morning, not really a clash at all. Think about this. Why does God correct us? Why does God correct us? Why do we sometimes feel the pain of chastisement, the rod of his chastisement? Is it because he cares for us or because he doesn't care for us? Is it because he cares for us or doesn't care for us? Well, I think the answer is plain, isn't it? It's because he cares for us, that he disciplines us. To me, the answer is obvious. And in the context of this passage, I want us to see it this way. God wants us as his children to run well. He wants us to run the race well. And that's how it opens up, isn't it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us also Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God wants the best for us. He wants the best for us. And he wants us to run the race well. And he exhorts us here to honor him in our running of the race. And, and sometimes that means we need his correction and his redirection. If you know Hebrews 11, and many of you will know it, and the list of, Hebrew, of, of uh, heroes of faith and heroines of faith, 
that are described for us there, you will know that many of them went through uh, uh, the mill, as it were, in seeking to follow God and to do God's will. And it does make us ask the question, why does it need to be so difficult? Why is it so difficult to run the race? Why did God not make the going more plain? There are some very obvious answers. We live in a sinful world, as simple as that. We live in a world in which the devil is warring against souls. We live in a world in which Satan is out to wreck and to destroy uh, the people of God, the witness of God's people, and the church of Christ were that possible. But there are other reasons why it's difficult to. Um, difficult because and hard because we are following the supreme example. And this is where the writer to the Hebrews turns our attention here, doesn't he, in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And of course, the implication is that Jesus did. He did shed his blood. So the, the Holy Spirit turns our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ before we are it's spelled out for us what it will mean for us to endure in this race. In order to do God's will, Christ had to suffer at the hands of sinners. Indeed, Scripture talks about him being made perfect. Now, it's not that Christ was imperfect, but Christ perfectly fulfilled the Father's will through suffering and going to the cross. He did not have to be corrected. He was a sinless one. But to attain the goal which his father had set before him meant for him suffering. He confronted the powers of evil and he defeated them because he endured to the end. And if we follow him, if we are walking after him, then it is inevitable that we too will endure conflict and life and witness will be tough at times. As I said, our Heavenly Father wants us to run well. And he wants us to endure to the end for his glory. And that will entail discipline, fortitude, endurance, but all with this point and purpose in mind that we will finish the race effectively and successfully. What seems clear to me is this, that <clears throat> the hardships of life, the struggles and the opposition, even persecution that comes away of the believer are under the providential hand of God. Now, I know that that's easy to say. And it's something perhaps that we find easier to rest in at times in our lives than at other times. There are some times that that truth does bring us a measure of comfort and strength. There are other times when, if we're honest, it leaves us rather cold and we don't gain strength from it. But we need to remind ourselves constantly 
that all of this difficulty, all of this struggle that we have in following Christ is under God's controlling hand. <coughs> and what God is doing is he is molding us. He's refining us and he's fitting us out to run the race more effectively and more acceptably to him. These things, these difficulties that come our way, these struggles that God permits in our lives are not a sign of his neglect or his lack of concern, but in fact the opposite. They're the mark of his true fatherly care to enable us to do what he urges upon us in the first part of this chapter. So let's turn our attention to these things that God says to us here. With regard to running the race, what does, what does our Heavenly Father urge upon us as we seek to obey Him and follow Christ? Well, there are, and don't worry about the clock, there are six things, and you're not going to get six mini-sermons, but there are six very simple things, but very challenging things that come out of this passage here. And if you've got your Bible open, you'll be able to follow these um, through clearly. In verse 1, the first thing God urges is that we shed all the baggage that would hold us back in running the race. Now, it's been pointed out, I'm sure to you before, that the distinction is drawn here between weight and sin. See, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Now, he goes on to deal with sin, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But every weight, what is he talking about here? The weight is distinguished from, uh, separated from the description of sin that follows. And I suggest to you that weights are things that are not necessarily in themselves sinful, but which may, if they're not controlled, if they're not in their proper place in our lives, they may hold us back in the race. You boys and girls and young people who run races in school, uh, when your sports day comes, I suppose if you wanted to be really awkward, you could run the race in your welly boots. But I'm not too sure that you would really win the race if you did that. See, it's permitted, if you like. Not itself wrong, but it's not helpful. And there are things like that in our lives. Legitimate things. But if they're not under the control of the Spirit, if they're not in their proper place, they may distract us or drain our energies so that we don't run the race as well as we might. I'm not picking on the young people this morning. Don't misunderstand me, but I hope your mums and dads and your grannies and grannies will listen to this too. Let me ask you this question. How, how much time do you spend reading your Bible and praying and thinking about the things of God compared to the time that you spend on your iPad or on your phone? That's a challenging question, isn't it? Boys and girls, young people, it's not just a challenging question for you. It's a challenging question for older folk, for your mums and dads. 
and the adults too. How much time do you spend at these things? Hobbies, pastimes, ambitions, friends, compared with the time that you spend thinking about the things of God. And I think that comes into this category of weight, baggage, that holds us back. So that we don't run the race as well as we might. So the first thing God does is he urges the shedding of all the baggage that would hold us back. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there isn't a place for recreation, a place for the iPad, a place for um, uh, our social media and all the rest. Of course there is. In its rightful place, it can be good and helpful and healthy. But in its wrongful place, it becomes a weight that holds us back. The second thing that the Holy Spirit speaks of here is this, that he urges us to turn away from sin in all its forms. See that? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now notice immediately the difficulty in doing that. Which clings so closely? Have you ever tried to take cling film off a Parex bowl? Well, not that I do it very often, but it's one of those things, especially if you don't have nails, uh, uh, that is extremely difficult. Or if you're in a particularly muddy field with your boots on and you're trying to get the mud off the boots, it clings so closely. And that's the nature of sin. The Bible never makes light of our of the difficulty we have in, 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 in avoiding sin, in resisting temptation. It, it, it's very realistic, very honest. But here the Holy Spirit is telling us we need to turn away from sin. That's not difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy to do it. It clings so closely. Sin is hard to shake off. It's difficult to get away from. We're working we're living in a sinful world. We're working with sinful people. We're conversing with sinful friends and neighbors and so forth. And the Bible is very realistic here. We must do our utmost, really, to turn away and to avoid sin in all its forms. Never, ever adopt a peaceful coexistence with sin. God, in his holiness, cannot and will not do it. And we, his children, mustn't do it. So he urges the shedding of all baggage that would hold us back. He urges us to turn away from sin in all its forms. And then, verse 2 here, he instructs us and exhorts us to keep our focus clear. Keep your focus clear. Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. We are here as God's children to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve him as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Sovereign. That's the very point and purpose of our existence 
of our birth and of our new birth. When God created man at the beginning, he created man in his own image that mankind might worship him and serve him. And sin spoiled that and destroyed it. But when we are reborn by the grace of God, when we're brought into that place of repentance and faith and trust in Jesus, our lives are redirected, refocused. And it's our responsibility as God's children to keep that focus clear. Our goal is to serve him. Our goal is to glorify him. And anything or anyone that gets in the way of that, well, it's wrong. It's to be avoided. It's in him that our faith is anchored. And it is to him and for him that our faith is to grow and develop. We're to shed all the baggage. We're to turn away from sin. We're to keep our focus clear. And then the fourth thing is this. That the Holy Spirit here urges us to take our inspiration from the supreme example. Verse 3. Consider him. Those are two very witty words. Consider him. Think about him. Meditate upon him. Fasten your attention for him for a moment. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Whenever we are finding the way tough, and perhaps we are tempted to to wallow in self-pity, poor me, and all that has happened to me, we may need at that point in time to lift our eyes and to remember what he had to endure. The depths of devilish opposition which confronted him and which necessitated him enduring the cross with all its pain and all its shame. Consider him. Would you take our inspiration from the supreme example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself? So we're to shed the baggage. We're to avoid sin. We're to keep our focus clear. We're to take our inspiration from Jesus Christ our supreme example. And then fifthly, in verse 4, we are reminded that in order to make progress in the race, we are going to have to go through the pain barrier. In order to make progress, we are going to have to go through the pain barrier. Verse (laughs) 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The pain barrier is described, very interesting here, as a struggle against sin. And it may well occasion persecution and opposition, For some of our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world, it does bring them to the point of shedding blood. 
And if we are tempted to groan and complain, we are told here to consider him who endured infinitely more than ever we can imagine. And then we come, if you like, if you like, to the final thing here. Uh, we're to shed the baggage, we're to avoid sin, we're to keep our focus clear, we're to take our inspiration from the supreme example, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to make progress, we've got to be prepared to go through the pain barrier and to bear the, 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 the opposition and the difficulties of the, uh, and the struggle that is involved in this race. But the last thing is this, and this is where I want to sort of bring us in our thoughts this morning. In all of this, the Holy Spirit is reminding us here. God is at work disciplining his children. That's how the, the, the passage hangs together. It starts off with this race and so forth. And then the link is consider him who endured such sinners in verse 3. And then it goes on to talk about this, that how God actually molds us, how he fashions us, the means he uses to make us more like Christ. And the, the word that is used here in the, in the original is a very interesting word. It means to teach or instruct or to guide, but with the implication of correction and even punishment. Now, praise God through Christ, the eternal punishment of our sins has been taken away. There is therefore now no condemnation. We sang it uh, earlier on to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we do need to be chastised. And we do need at times to be punished if we want to use that word for our waywardness, for our um, surrender to sinful ways and sinful thoughts and so forth. And these are the means that God uses us to to teach us and to mold us to knock off the rough corners of our lives. And that's never a, a, an easy, a painless thing. Sure it's not. You know, that very image comes from the carpenter's shop where if there's a rough edge on the piece of wood, he'll take a chisel and a hammer and, and he'll knock it off. And the rough edges have to be taken off us. And it's not... It isn't easy. God is at work in these things. Including the painful times, the struggles you've had this last week, the struggles perhaps you face in the week to come. Remember that God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. It's not that he doesn't care. That God is actually there with you in no struggle. And he's doing something in the struggles and through the struggles to make you more like him. You see, we are his children. We're not illegitimate children. We're not, we're not abandoned by him. We're not forgotten by him. We're loved by him. And because we're loved by him, we are chastised by him. So here we see the linking up of these two aspects of God's fatherly dealings with us, which we sometimes find hard, hard to harmonize. That he loves us, but that he chastises us. His loving, tender care of us as his children, <clears throat> coupled with the very obvious fact 
that although it is within his power to do so, he does not shield us from the problems and the difficulties of the race into which he has called us. He deals with us with our shortcomings and our failures and our sins. He loves us and because he loves us, he continues to exercise a refining influence in our lives so that we will run well and so that we will finish well. And that chastisement, that refining work involves the things that we find we are struggling with in life. Maybe illness. It may be family issues. It may be personal challenges. It may at times be financial worries. These things are not indications that God has forgotten about us. But they are elements in God's continuing work of refining us and molding us and turning our eyes to him and away from the world. God wants us. It's a wonderful thought. He wants us, according to verse 10, to share his holiness. Isn't that an amazing thing? Talking about earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. If you talk to my my boys, they will tell you about dad's discipline at times. You know, if there was a bit of a stramash upstairs when they were younger, I went up on the first ear I saw, I clipped it, see? And uh, of course, they had a great cry. I went up, oh, it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. And uh, I would say, well, it will do you for the next time. <laughs> but our discipline sometimes... It's good and right, and sometimes it's faulty. God's discipline is never faulty. And what God is doing in your life at this minute, dear Christian, difficult as it is and hard to bear, God is loving you in that, and he's molding you in that, and in some way, certainly unknown to me, and perhaps even unknown to you, At this moment, God is doing something in your life so that you one day will share his holiness. And when we think about that, then we, I think, can be steeled or strengthened for the struggles and for the difficulties that come our way. The last verse that we read together is a lovely verse, isn't it? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and so it is. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a wonderful thing. To have the peace that actually is rooted in a righteousness given to us by God. To have peace with God, to be at peace with ourselves, to understand that the peace that we enjoy is, is, is rooted in the fact that we are now counted righteousness. Righteous. No longer are we at war with God. No longer are we his enemies. But we have brought, been brought into this 
wonderful friendship, indeed into this wonderful family where he is our father and where he always works for our good. We enjoy something of that, the peace of that righteousness here and now. In our best moments, we do experience that here and now. But you know, there's a day coming when ultimately in glory, we'll see the whole canvas, if you like, of our lives set in the, the glorious context of God's perfect will. And we'll understand this, that our struggles, yes, even the painful things that cause us so much perplexity here and now, will be woven together into that perfect will of God and will lead to glory and honor being brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our friend. You want to run well? I want to run well. You want to finish well? I want to finish well. Well, according to the Holy Spirit's teaching here in this book of Hebrews. Um, there are things that we are exhorted to do and to obey. There are struggles that we will continue to face throughout our lives. But there is a point and a purpose, a glorious point and purpose in it all. In that when we finish that race, when we get to Jesus, to whom we look, then we will receive our eternal reward, the fruit of righteousness in all its fullness and its all its glory in heaven itself. May the Lord speak to our hearts. May he help us to take these exhortations and these instructions from God with regard to running the race in the face of the difficulties that are around us. May he help us to do that and to glorify him in it all.